Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in to Stand Up For The Truth. Hope you're having a wonderful week. We're a couple days in, and uh, we're, we're going to answer some questions today that are the most frequent to the site and the ministry gotquestions.org. Org because we are blessed once again to have the founder here with us. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for another day of life and health and strength and, and purpose in our lives. We know, God, that because we are alive today, that means we have a purpose. And I know that uh, you have plans for each person listening right now. You have a purpose for every one of us, and that purpose is to glorify you, Jesus, and make you known. Help us to do that, whether by our words, our um, example in our lives, uh, whatever way we can use, Lord, to um, just bring people to you. Use us today. We, we love you. We thank you for the honor and privilege, privilege of being ambassadors for Christ and representing you. Uh, it's a great responsibility. And Father, um, give us discernment and, and wisdom on how to carry out that great responsibility. And we want to please you and obey you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have Shay Hoodman back with us, founder and CEO of GotQuestions.org. Uh, Shay received a Bachelor's of Arts in Biblical Studies from Calvary University and a Master's of Arts in Christian Theology from Calvary Theological Seminary. And Got Questions has been in existence since 2002, so next year they get to celebrate their 20-year anniversary. And, of course, they seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by providing biblical applicable and timely answers to spiritually related questions through an internet presence. And they also have a podcast now. Shay, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. It's great to be back. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for your time today. Tell us about your podcast. You just started that, um, was it earlier this year or late last year? It was around um, mid-April of this year. Um, So over the past, I don't know, like you said, 20 years of our history, we probably received more requests for a podcast than <laughs> anything else in terms of stuff we weren't already doing. So uh, about the thousandth person requested, you know, maybe we should actually look into this because it does appear there's an audience. So yeah, we the goal of the podcast is just to write another venue where we seek to answer questions biblically, try to hit on some of the most popular questions, some of the most important questions, having some, some guest experts on. Every once in a while, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Just have some good conversations amongst the staff. A few great gig guests have been on to give us some added insight. And so yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it, and um, I think it's a important aspect of the ministry. Awesome. Well, you've got a lot of aspects of your ministry, and since uh, we have a lot of new listeners, uh, I mean, people are tuning in all the time. Thankfully, finding out about us from somewhere. And so, since the last time you've been on. We haven't uh, shared some of these things that you do, uh, Got Questions Kids, and I see some other things on your website. Just share a couple of the things in addition to your podcast, and you have an app. I've got it on my phone, the Got Questions app. Uh, what else can you share about what you guys are doing? So Sure. So gotquestions.org is our main website, our most um, popular one, um, averaging uh, around 12 million visitors a month. So that's a huge number of people who are accessing the site, the vast majority of people find us some through the search engines just by going to Google and searching for something spiritual related. And we design our site and write our articles so that they hopefully do well in the search engines. So the search engines are is essentially it's our mission field. It's, we're trying to reach people who are searching for information online. Um, then you mentioned gqkids.org. It's our site for, for little kids. Um, we, we What we found over the years is that more p- adults go to GQ kids that are trying to figure out how do I answer this question for a kid huh. versus um So that's kind of unintended, but um, also a great use of the site. We've got um, 412teams.org, which is based on First Timothy 412, which says, do not let people look down on you because you were young, but set an example in the faith. Um, this answering questions um, that are more teen-focused, teen-friendly. Um, we've got BibleRef.com, which is a verse-by-verse commentary on the entire Bible. We're about um, a third of the way through. Just want anytime someone searches for what does John 3.16 mean? What does Philippians 4.12 mean? To provide this a brief explanation of what that verse means, both on its own and its 
context. We've got um, compellingtruth.org, which is a site that's maybe a little bit more apologetics and worldview focused and got questions. Um, got gotquestions.blog, which is kind of just approaching some of the same issues we cover on the other sites, but from a more personal and practical perspective. So um, there's a few other little ones out there, but those are the, the main ones. And um, God's doing some amazing things. Wow. And I see on the bottom of your page on gotquestions.org, there are links to each one of them. Uh, GQ Kids, Seek, Find, The Blog, Compelling Truth, Bible, Ref, R-E-F. And of course, download the free app. It's Got Questions on in the App Store. And um, so can you, I guess you can detect uh, where traffic is coming from. Do more people use the app than the actual website? Like from, like I'm on the desktop computer right now. So do you, can you detect where people are coming from and using the Got Questions? We can. So the website still gets a lot more traffic than the app. Mm-hmm. Like I said, um, if the website averages maybe um, 12 million visitors a month. The app um, <laughs> is around 400,000. So still significant, but a lot more people are using the site than the app. Um, and then what's interesting, you mentioned you're on a desktop. Um, so over the years, as smartphones have become more popular, especially worldwide, our traffic is now approximately 70% people on their smartphones just accessing the site that way rather than on a desktop or laptop computer. That's amazing. Well, it, the, finding whatever ways that are out there that you can reach more people, I think, isn't that what we're called to do as Christians? Use the methods, use the tools that we have and the technology that we have. I know uh, there's a big debate on whether we should be on these, you know, technology is evil, right? A lot of people think that, but we can use it for good. Um, Let's talk, before we get into a couple things that I emailed you about a few days ago that are really big questions for people. I want to know what people have been contacting your ministry about. Let's just say in the last six months, Shay, um, what would be one of the top questions you get at gotquestions.org? So last six months, just some kind of look at the world headlines. You can get a pretty good idea of stuff we've been asked about. Um, It seems to have finally slowed down, but especially uh, six months ago, the COVID-19 vaccines were a huge driver of questions people mm-hmm. wanting to know should a christian get the vaccine um is the vaccine the mark of the beast those type of things and like from a medical perspective we don't answer that question and we're like um, no you need to talk to your doctor about whether you get the vaccine but theologically speaking we can answer the other side and here's what the bible says and this vaccine doesn't match any of those things so whether or not you get the vaccine is a personal conviction between mm-hmm. you, your family, your doctor, and of course God, but then you can throw out the whole question of whether it's the mark of the beast, because it right. doesn't match anything that the Bible says about what the mark of the beast is. So just take that out of your <laughs> equation. Um, questions like even with the um, Surfside, Florida, the apartment building that collapsed recently, just like a, a lot of questions on why does it got allow tragedy? Why does God allow like natural disasters, those type of things. um, Always a popular question, but whenever there's a big one in the news, Mm. um, we get a a lot more questions along those lines. It's fascinating. I mean, it's common sense, really, but when you said the top questions coming in really reflect what's going on in national and world news, just check the headlines. It's fascinating um, that it, it tends to be more topical Less and less maybe theological. Is is that accurate to say? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you go to our website and look at the like the top 20 questions of, of all time or the top question, top 20 questions of the previous month, um, you do get a lot more theological ones. So those ones are common like all the time. But if you're looking for what's the a temporary big hitter, it's often something just some, something happened in the world. And therefore, a lot of people have questions about it. So let's touch on this just for a minute more, the question about uh, a lot of people, especially younger believers, have questions about God's sovereignty and struggle with why he allows evil. Uh, I know this could be a very extensive response or answer, but uh, Shay, we we trust God. He, He 
is sovereign. He created us. He knows what's best for us. But we really do as human beings, since we are on this temporary timeline in such a short time compared to God, who is outside of time, we struggle with uh, pain and trials and, and suffering. So um, how would you respond to someone that uh, that asked that question about, you know, I, I love God, but I just don't understand why he allows so much evil? Yeah, so, I mean, first I would try to probe a little bit more, like, is this person experiencing a personal tragedy, or are they responding to a, a tragedy out there in the world? Does okay. that can drastically impact how we address it? I mean, okay. often if someone has a personal tragedy, like a loved one dies, or something awful happens to them or their family, the oh, God is sovereign, you just need to trust him. While entirely true, it's often not what the person needs. What they just need is someone to love them, comfort them, be with them, encourage them, and then later... That's when you come at them with the God works all things together for good. God is trustworthy. God is infinite, eternal, sovereign. His ways are above our ways, those type of things. Yes. If it's more of it's a general, what, like why did God allow the apartment building in Surfside, Florida to collapse? And it looks like over 150 people were, were killed. It's like, well, I don't know. Mm. I mean, we shouldn't seek to give concrete answers to that, but then you can just go into um, who knows some of the um, good that God can bring about from something like that. And maybe because of this, um, numerous other buildings will be um, shored up or get the people out of those buildings so further tragedies don't happen. Or just look at, okay, um, from the news, it seems like numerous people had examined the building and had identified this building is not safe, needs to be fixed. So why are we, in a sense, blaming God when mm. people by their own either evil or negligent choices allowed something like that to happen? To, like, to what extent do we want God to step in and prevent everyone from making decisions that hurt other people? So um, you get into a lot of really good theological arguments. And as you said, we could do an entire episode <laughs> on this. But ultimately what you said is the answer in that we have to trust God even when we don't understand yes. why he allows something, or even especially when we don't understand why he allowed something. Because just I, I led a youth group discussion recently at our church, and several of them raised questions like this. It's like, okay, do your parents know more than you do? And thankfully, all of them admitted that, yes, their parents do know more than them. So how many times in your life have you had just to trust that your parents know what's best for you, even though to you it may not seem that way. And all of them are like, yeah, we get that. Well, how much more is it with God when he has infinite knowledge of every, Mm. uh, everything, whether possible or actual and makes decisions, which ultimately work to his glory and for Christians, for followers of Christ to our good, how much more should we trust him Mm. than even we should trust that like our, our parents have our best interest at heart. So stuff like that is, can be helpful. But again, if you're dealing with a person who's personally struggling with the tragedy in their lives, uh, don't hit them with the God is sovereign. Just trust him right. until, they're, until they're ready for that. Yes. I, I, I'll go back to something that I went through when my dad died in 19—wow, this is decades ago, 80—it was 87. And the first thing— a Christian friend said to me was, well, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called to go. As soon as he started quoting that, I just shut down Um, the timing of that. Even though that was God's truth, I believe that verse 100%. But the timing of that, because of the pain I was feeling, what I was going through, I just was not able to receive it. So that's a good uh, thing that you said, Shay, to ask people, well, is this something that you're going through personally or are you talking about world events and suffering in general? And, and really ask questions before we jump in and say, well, just trust God. Because um, we can come off kind of callous even though we mean well. Um, Shay, Absolutely. your top 20 most frequently asked Bible questions on your website, gotquestions.org, are they in order? They are. Oh, so, wow. Uh, we've got two different lists. Okay. So, um, like the... The main one, top 20 questions of all times, are is, is in order. Just um, sort of, Those are the questions like that people actually submit to us. So we don't update it all the time. But mm-hmm. um, Wow. And then the top 20 monthly ones, um, 
similar, but a little, that obviously that list changes a lot okay. more often. Okay. What's fascinating is I was looking at that, and I know we've had you on two, three, maybe four times now, and we did cover a lot of these issues. And just so if you're listening, I'll put that link, the previous podcast with Shay in today's blog post at StandUpForTheTruth.com. But the number one is, what does the Bible say about women pastors? And we've covered that, we've talked about that, but it's fascinating that that's one of the top ones. And then it's no surprise, number two, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Is it a sin? And fascinating, number three, tattoos. That's really interesting, but I really want to get to uh, one of the topics we need to talk to about today because we just celebrated the 4th of July. It was really interesting to see the many different pastors that I follow, what the sermon topics were, some outstanding messages on American history. Um, Some of them got into uh, different backgrounds. One of them, one of my favorite pastors, did the myth of the separation of church and state, which we're going to get to in a minute, Shay. But one thing that has come up is some confusion about what is Christian nationalism, and is this a bad thing? Are they redefining what this means? Because I'd like for you to share some thoughts about this, because it the left, as you know, have been using this, and particularly since the uh, Capitol event of January 6th, there's been even some reporters on the left saying that the, quote, riot at the Capitol, by the way, no one was armed, um, the riot at the Capitol was 1,000 percent worse than 9-11-2001. So there's some stuff that's out there that you kind of scratch your head and go, wow, I hope people aren't believing this. But, Shay, let's start with the, the question. Um we, before we have to end this segment in about three and a half minutes, what is Christian nationalism? So it's important to differentiate between patriotism and nationalism. Right? Okay. Don't, don't get me wrong. I I love the United States of America. I'm proud to be an American. I think it's the greatest country in the history of the world. Christian nationalism is, since taking that even further and essentially trying to take the, your Christian faith and making it extremely politically active mm-hmm. or in the sense of believing that the United States is God's chosen nation in the world and therefore it should be abiding by um, these principles or the principles of the law or um, Christian morality or just making the Christian faith more about being an American in a sense than about being the follower of Jesus Christ. Now, mm-hmm. again, don't get me wrong. I, I'm strongly pro-life, strong, strongly against gay marriage, all the typical issues that Christian nationalism um, focuses on. But trying to change the world through political means is not mm. what God calls us to do. We are to change the world through evangelism, through um, pointing people towards Jesus Christ. And then when they have faith in him, the Holy Spirit begins to transform them from the inside out. And then they can start seeing things from God's perspective and understanding why Christians believe certain ways, but trying to force non-Christians to abide by Christian principles or understand the Christian founding of the United States is a foolhardy venture. But until again, they've experienced the new creation that salvation results in, they're not going to be able to understand what the Bible says about um, how a nation can honor God what it means to follow Jesus Christ and a sense of how that impacts your, your politics. So to me, it's, again, like you said, depending on who's describing it, Christian nationalism can just be being proud to be an American and mm-hmm. trying to view, I want to take some of the principles of the Bible and use those and how the United States works. That's one thing. But then becoming so politically focused that, do you think the most important thing God wants you to do as a Christian and American is to be an extreme right-wing Republican? That's not what God calls us to do. And it's interesting, once you start putting nation above Bible, you can, as you said, you can fall into the danger of replacement theology, replacing Israel with America or something like that, but anyway, which, which a lot of people have. They've, they think the church has replaced Israel, but we've talked about that in the past. Uh, we've got to take a short break in about 30 seconds here, but we need to continue talking about this and just uh, going a little bit further about nationalism. There's nothing wrong with being proud of your country, being thankful for the freedoms that you have, 
But Shay, young people today are being lied to by culture, sometimes in the public schools, about the history of America and what kind of country we are or were. And we're going to talk about systemic racism and the separation of church and state when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Shay Hoodman, gotquestions.org, a great site if you need answers on any biblical issue. Um, Shay, we were talking about Christian nationalism before we get to the second biggest lie in America, the separation of church and state, which is not in our Constitution. Um, and it just rips out the, the, the being salt and light in America or in the world, as Christians are called to be. Um, a lot of people need a little bit of clarification on Christian nationalism because it's been framed only as a negative thing. And so what would your response be as far as what's happening recently in recent years? I mean, whether, you know, the, the you know, President Trump was starting a new movement or not, he was accused of this, and then people following anybody that was, like you said, patriotic. It is not a sin to be patriotic, but when it comes to idolatry and putting your nation or the flag or your party, Republican or Democrat, above the Bible, then we get into trouble. Go ahead. Uh, you're absolutely right. I think that's the the proper perspective. So being patriotic is not a... I think we lost Shay, unfortunately. We're going to try to get him back. Um, if, can you hear me, Shay? If you're there, I don't think I, I don't think he's connected. So let me just uh, make a little note here. He was just saying being patriotic is not a sin. <laughs> Are you hitting redial, uh, Trevor? Okay, let's let's get Shay back. So a couple questions, and it's it's a pretty good answer to the question: What is Christian nationalism? And he was getting into the idea of patriotism. It is not a bad thing, friends. It's so sad in this country. Um, I would just want to read something that they have on in this answer here. It would be misleading and unfair to characterize, for example, all support for LGBTQ civil rights as homosexual nationalism, which is, I think, a very interesting point. Those who believe in the separation of church and state are not atheist nationalists. And the activists who opposed Jim Crow era segregation were not, quote, black nationalists, and voters whose morality is defined by the Bible are not Christian nationalists. Shay, are you there? I'm there. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, so I just said, I just read part of your response here at gotquestions.org about what is Christian nationalism, but you were just saying um, that the point I made, patriotism is not necessarily a sin. So I'll just let you continue your thought. So from a Christian perspective, I mean, nationalism is, it depends on what you mean by it. So (laughs) if you just mean patriotism, there's nothing wrong with it. But the way the secular culture is framing it is that Christians want to um, make everyone follow Christian principles or biblical principles, or, and if you don't agree with the right-wing conservative politics, then you're not truly an American, that you have to abide by all these things that you believe politically in order to be a Christian in a sense, and that's completely wrong. So it's a matter of perspective. Are there things the Bible says that need to change in the United States of America? Well, absolutely. But is that our primary mission as Christians to try to transform a nation? No, it's not. Our mission is to evangelize people and then allow God to transform people and thereby transform a nation. So in a sense, Christian nationalism often has it backwards. Um, again, whenever someone says, well, are you a Christian nationalist? Well, I think the first question, first response you need to make is, well, what do you mean by yes, that? Yes, define it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's go over to the separation of church and state now, because a lot of this has to do with how we live, particularly in this country with our Constitution. Um and we cannot force our religion, our faith on anybody, nor would we want to, nor should we want to force the faith because it's a free, uh, it's, it's, it's a free will issue where people need to hear the gospel and then hopefully receive the truth and repent and believe Jesus Christ. But um, 
this idea of the separation of church and state, we are transformed people, truly transformed people by the Word of God, transformed Christians, naturally, naturally, and it's an authentic response to being transformed. We transform our culture, not trying to take over culture, right? We just naturally transform our culture with salt and light. Share your thoughts on that and how this has been really misunderstood, this whole idea, separation of church and state. So again, as you said, the separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. It was an important principle that several of the founding fathers commented on. And if you look at it from their perspective, having come from England primarily, where the king of England is both the head of the state and the head of the church, Mm. um, you could see some of the problems that go into that. The king is telling preachers and pastors, oh, here's what you teach, here's what you can't teach, Um, telling people, here's what you need to do in church, and your obligations in church mean you also have to do this um, politically. So having the king, the political leader, also in charge of the church just leads to disaster. It's been shown over and over again throughout history, throughout Europe. So when the founding fathers started establishing the government here, they wanted the church and the state to be separate in the sense of neither having undue influence over the other, but not in the sense of that doesn't mean religion or faith can't have any impact on how people make political decisions. But that's absolutely not what they meant by the separation of church and state. Like, it's not like we turn off our Christian faith when we walk into the voting booth. No. Yes. <laughs> that's absolutely not what they meant. Mm-hmm. What they meant is they do not want the president of the United States to be controlling what the pastors, preachers, priests, bishops, etc., are teaching in their churches. So that, that, and that's the proper perspective. I entirely agree with the separation of church and state in that sense, but not in the sense of, do your church stuff on Sunday and don't allow it to impact your life the rest of the week. That's absolutely not what um, the founding fathers intended when they wrote about the separation of church and state. Amen, brother. Uh, And we cannot separate any part of our lives from our allegiance to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he is, he is Lord over every area of our lives. Um, So that includes, you know, our, our influence in our culture and how God uses us. So a, a very important topic that, that flows from that and what we're talking about here is recently, actually, this, is, this doesn't necessarily flow from the separation of church and state, but and we've talked about that a lot on this podcast, as I'm sure you have too, Shay, on your podcast. But a very important topic is what the Bible has to say about systemic racism. In the last several years, we've had these conversations, and it just doesn't seem like people are—there's much clarity even in the church on these issues. And could you, first of all, help us understand um, from a biblical perspective that there's no such thing as collective guilt, collective salvation. Everything is individual between us and God. As far as our salvation goes, if we sin, we can't blame that sin on on our great or our past, you know, great grandparents. Can you offer some clarity on this idea that people are, are being sold about America being a systemically racist nation. Uh, I can try. So I've uh, <laughs> I've, I've read um, most of the popular books out there on systemic racism. Um, most of them were really difficult reads, and then I've read um, Christian responses. I've listened to podcasts and watched videos of sermons and messages from experts on it. So something that we've been dealing with a lot: um, systemic racism. What's most frustrating about it is when, like, if I were to tell you, David, you're a racist, you would interpret that as I'm saying that you hate other people solely due to the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. And so they're taking this term racist that the vast majority of people in our country want to understand to mean exactly that. We hate people with different skin color than us and applying it to the United States government and political system as a whole. So saying you're systemically racist doesn't mean that you hate people based on the color of the skin. It means you are a participant in the system that's been designed to suppress people of color. Interesting. To give advantage to people with white skin. And so systemic racism is essentially a belief system that says the, the entire history and structure of the United States 
is built on the foundation of racism. And that's why people of color aren't as successful in the United States, whether it's the judicial system, whether it's the government, whether it's business. Basically, the DAC is stacked against everyone except white people. And so that's systemic racism. And then the cure for that is for not just for people to stop being racist in terms of treating people. No, no, tear down the entire structure of the history of the United States Mm -hmm. government, the policies and government judicial system, tear that all down and replace it. And then what they want to replace it with is basically um, extremely liberal socialism bordering on Marxism and communism. So um, they try to take something that everyone is against. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is a non-negotiable for you to say racism, that is, feelings of hatred or dislike or distrust towards people based on the color of their skin, is evil. That is not something a Christian should feel, should believe, should participate in, in any sense. We're trying to take that and by attaching racism to this other thing, trying to get people to, oh, I'm, of course I'm against systemic racism. Well, as we should be, but the question is, to what extent is it true? Mm-hmm. And to what extent is tearing everything down the proper solution? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's the mess of all this, is mm-hmm. that of, of course we should oppose systemic racism because it has the word racism in it. But what they mean by it is not what most people understand right. by the term racist. Great distinction. Whenever I hear systemic, to me that's a red flag because I don't know of a lot of well, I, I, we, let's just not go down that road. Um, systemic, to me, is, is a way that they're trying to get control over people and and win people over to their side, whatever side that is. But it is to tear down the Judeo-Christian morality and foundation of America, the, our system of capitalism. This is what the globalists want to do. But the Black Lives Matter global network, with its Marxist-driven, is also using the oppressor versus the oppressed to try to tear down the system. And that's their solution. Tear it down. The system has to be completely dismantled or deconstructed. Um, in your response at gotquestions.org, Shay, it says, generally the term systemic racism suggests that race-based discrimination is ingrained or woven into rules, laws, or traditions, even if the actual text of laws makes no overt reference to race. So they read it into there, right? They project it into our history, don't they? They do. And and I'm not in a place that I can, the saying, I can either confirm nor deny. I mean, I don't know what was going on in the minds of the people who wrote the laws. I don't know what's going on in the minds of and hearts of those who are enforcing the laws. So I can't say beyond the shadow of any doubt that there's not some truth to it, that there are some things in our systems that need to change yes. to make things more fair, to make, to root out true racism from all of our structure. And I'm entirely for that. But like you said, it can take statements that, have absolutely nothing to do with race and say, well, that's racist because it results in this and this and this and this. And it's like, well, that's, that's not what it says. Hmm. So it's just so difficult because in a sense, um, I as a white male am essentially ineligible to even talk about these issues (laughs) because I am one of the oppressors, even though I can say, with a clear conscience, to my knowledge, to my remembrance, I have never in my entire life treated a person poorly based on the color of their skin. Don't get me wrong. I've treated people poorly, but I've never, I, I examine my heart mm-hmm. based on what the Word of God says. And I truly believe I do not have any racist leanings or um, do not discriminate against other people or treat them differently based on their ethnicity, the color of their skin, even their sexual orientation. So, but I'm white, so I can't help but believe that about myself, or at least that's what um, white people are told. So it's an extremely frustrating in that it's trying to look, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says we're all equally created in the image of God, mm-hmm. and that treating people poorly, um, racism is a horrible evil, which God is absolutely opposed to. The solution is people need Jesus Christ. Amen. They need to be transformed by his grace, allow him to root out any racist beliefs. Again, we're back to what we were talking about earlier. It's transform people 
through faith in Christ and then allow change to come in society as a result of that. Yes. Trying to tear down society and then have it rebuilt by people who are, um, in my opinion, further away from Christ than the fa- founding fathers were. Yeah, by um, far. <laughs> got, it, it's not going to result in something better than what we currently have. Exactly. And the sin of impartiality, or I don't know if you want to call impartiality a sin, but when you're impartial, when you're showing partiality to someone above someone else, is it is not that a form of discrimination? And if and if skin color comes into play, then you're talking another slippery slope into racism. But are we talking about impartiality, discrimination, just treating people differently based on how they look? I mean, that's what racism has been and for the past few hundred years. Mm. If you use the term racist or racism, that's what people are going to come to. So what they're doing now is trying to then co-opt that term and use it to attach to other things, which really have little to nothing to do with true racism and thereby gaining support for the, the movement. So of course, mm. um, black lives matter in the terms of they matter to God. Yes. Um, African-Americans, black people are absolutely equally created in the image of God as every other ethnicity out there. But what black lives matter. So you agree with that statement and then they want you to then agree with everything that's in the platform of Black Lives Matter, which if you really examine their origin and what they're trying to accomplish, it's a lot more than just um, correcting some of the societal evils that have been perpetuated against black people over the past few centuries and some that are still occurring today. So it's not about changing some laws to make things more equal and fair. It's about tearing down everything and then rebuilding something that's going to be absolutely foreign to anything we recognize. And by the way, it was Christians in America that were responsible for promoting the sancti- the value and sanctity of every human life, plus the abolition of slavery, dignity and respect for every human being, including to women at the time. But you say in your response about systemic racism at gotquestions.org, you say, prior to the dominance of Judeo-Christianity, broad concepts such as human equality— and universal rights were non-existent. And you say the biblical perspective that all people are image bearers of God, all individually accountable to God. And, and anyway, you, you went on to say these are things that were foreign before people were founded upon the Judeo-Christian values or, or the biblical values in that worldview that we uphold. Can you wrap up this segment, Shay, by just sharing your thoughts on how we're, we, we sometimes fall away from a biblical understanding of the good that Christianity has done, and we listen too much to the headlines and the news and, and what the left is promoting about those who don't like America? Yeah, so I've seen in the news recently, um, I wish I could remember his name, but if you just Google it, um, it'll come up. A prominent atheist, or a couple of them, have come out, and they're writing about how, you know, we don't believe in the Christian faith. We don't believe in the Christian view of God or the Bible's Word of God or any of that. But looking back through human history, we have to recognize the good that Christianity has done. And to compare what the world was like before Christianity to what um, it is now, what it has become— and recognize how much of that transformation is the result of the Christian faith being so dominant for centuries. We do not want a world without the Christian faith. Mm. And so the, coming from these people who are they're atheists, they don't believe it, but they recognize if when people believe this and truly implement it in their lives, it has a positive, strongly positive, transformative effect on society. And the same is true with, with racism. I mean, no doubt— um, many people bearing the name of Christ, whether they were true believers or just people who claimed to be Christians or were cultural Christians, did some horribly evil things Mm -hmm. in the era of slavery and um, in the South after even slavery was abolished with horrible racism going on, some people doing it in the name of Christ, Mm -hmm. viewing um, people of color of lesser humanity. Mm -hmm. So the Church is not without fault Mm -hmm. in some of the things that have happened in the name of Christ over the centuries, but all those things were completely antithetical to what the Word of God teaches. It's not that the message of Christ was faulty, it's just 
the understanding of and or application of that message was was misunderstood, mistaught, and therefore misapplied. So Amen. But if you look at actually the true message of Christ, the yes. true gospel, the true teachings of the Word of God, and none of these problems we've seen in the world are the result of Christians accurately following and applying the Word of God to their lives. Amen. It wasn't that the message of Christ was faulty. It was our misapplication of it. Shay Hoodman, God questions. I know you've have you've have another interview coming up in, in just a little bit, so we've got to let you go. But thank you for your time today. We'll direct people to your site. God bless your ministry, brother. David, thank you so much for having me on. It's great as always. Thank you. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about a couple recent articles that I think you're going to appreciate some news on Stand Up for the Truth next. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So Andy Wood says the misleading legal metaphor, the separation of church and state, has been used by our unelected deep state judiciary and our media and the public schools to systematically remove America from her Judeo-Christian foundation and instead onto the sinking sands of secular humanism. Dr. Andy Woods. Now, there's a fascinating story about an Olympian. Um, her name is Sydney McLaughlin. She set a new world record. I don't know if you uh, saw this story, guys, but this is worth pointing out because this is how you represent both God and America, if you're an American. Because we, you know, we've heard about some turning their backs to the flag and covering their head when the national anthem is played. And why represent a country you're you're ashamed of, embarrassed of, or that you hate? Um, so there's a story about Sidney McLaughlin, who said this. First of all, she set the new world record. Uh, what event is it again? For the women's 400 meter hurdles at the U.S. Olympic Trials. She's an American athlete. Her name again, Sydney McLaughlin. This is what she said. Here's, here's an example that you can put up for your young daughters to emulate, not someone who, who is ashamed of America or doesn't like America or you know, rejects the national anthem or whatever, turned their back to the flag, um, disrespects what America stands for. She said this, I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will, that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. And here's an Olympic world record setter here. She set a new world record in the Olympic trial. She said this, records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. Thank you, Father. Again, her name, Sydney McLaughlin. And just, I love stories like this, and these are the types of stories that we need to share with people. Um, another interesting story that came out recently, boy, can I even open up this can of worms? You know what? I, it's just such a lengthy article and study, um, but <laughs> underlying medical conditions, I'm just going to mention it. We can't get into it right now. Underlying medical conditions and severe illness among 540, almost 541,000 adults hospitalized with COVID-19. That's in one year. Let me sh just share that again. Underlying medical conditions and severe illness were among 541,000 adults hospitalized with COVID-19. So that's a lot of people in America, 541,000 roughly in adults. So let me see if they, they have a conclusion here. Because I just... There's, I don't want to do this a disservice by getting into any of the details without being thorough and really pointing to some of the conclusive facts. But I'll, I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to share this another time. Um, I'm sorry about that, but we, we just don't have to. It's too extensive to get into right now. But it's interesting. And also there was a study done on masks. Surprise, surprise. Generally, masks uh, are not good for children, basically. I just summed that one up. And so these, these studies are coming out now. And we're going, well, wait a minute. Isn't a lot of this just common sense? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Um, so I shared that story. There's one other thing I wanted to touch on, and this goes back to all lives 
matter to God. And by the way, Sydney McLaughlin, the one I just quoted, uh, she's a black woman and she, who set the new world record in the Olympic trials for the 400-meter hurdles and gave glory to God um, and put it all in perspective. So that's one reason why we shared that story. Um, let, let's talk about some numbers here. I know this is not popular to do, and some might think, well, you're not being compassionate if you just share facts. Have you ever been accused of that? Being um, either not intolerant or hateful, but just not being compassionate by sharing facts and truth over feelings and, and what might you know help someone's emotions at the moment. Um, let's cut through some of the noise right now with, with some of the facts. A- along with COVID and everything that happened last year, globalists and socialists had another opportunity to instill fear in people. And what Shea Hoodman and I were just talking about, what he explained through his answer to uh, what is systemic racism is how this has now been spread throughout our culture. And it is a cancer. In fact, I've got an article here from Ryan Bomberger, who also is a black man, pro-life leader and co-founder of the Radiance Foundation. He calls critical race theory a cancer, not a cure. But let's talk about some numbers here. And before we get to, yeah, collective guilt. Um, just some numbers about law enforcement, because there's been, been some lies promoted. We talked about our foundations of America. We talked about how not it's impossible to know, other than the, from the founders' documents and things they wrote themselves and the laws and, and the cases that, were, that are on the books, it's impossible to get into their minds and hearts and know their full intent. But we do have a great idea based on what was written. And I've said before, and there, you can find the stats to back this up, Go to David Barton's site or many other historians that over 90 percent, I think it's like 92 plus percent of the documents that we have and the written information from our founders either addressed God or the biblical worldview or scripture or made some reference to the one true God, biblical morality, in other words. And so you have to kind of make some conclusion just based on that, that at least they were going in that direction where they were believing in a sovereign God and trying to establish uh, a a system, a nation, uh, a constitution based on Judeo-Christian principles and values. Um, So let's just go to the numbers here about law enforcement, because we saw a lot of lawlessness just take over our streets last year. And most people would admit, now let's just talk back up from a minute, most people would admit that not all law enforcement do things by the book, And there has been in the past plenty of abuse. And that abuse hasn't always been a racial issue or against a black um, criminal or someone on the streets. It it just was against anybody. There's just been abuse. There's been corruption and money often had a lot to do with it. But it's also important to keep numbers in mind and some true perspective here. So this is very important based on the lies, based on the misinformation that we're getting out in our culture and by the media. So America's population, and this will only take a couple minutes, America's population is approximately 330 million. Okay, listen to this now. According to law enforcement today, there are 900,000 sworn law enforcement officers and an average of just under 1,000 incidents per year in which police have used deadly force. Let me say that again. A population of approximately 330 million. There are 900,000 sworn law enforcement officers and an average of just under 1,000 incidents per year in which police have used deadly force. Of these cases, 95% of suspects were armed. Do you got that? How are they supposed to respond in some of these cases? 95% of the suspects were armed. According to the FBI's Uniform Crime Report, there were over 58,000, this says 58,627 assaults against law enforcement officers in 2016. And can you imagine the number last year in 2020? But the, the numbers we have, final figures, this was four years ago, five years ago. The FBI's crime report, Over 58,000 assaults against law enforcement. Now, officers came into contact with the general population 
55.8 million times per year. Keep with me now. 55.8 million times per year, uh, per year, officers come into contact with the population, and there are about 26,000 complaints of excessive force. Of those 26,000 complaints of excessive force, only 8% of these were sustained, meaning they were proven or legitimate. 8% equaling 2,080 cases. For those keeping score at home, that's 0.0039% of excessive force cases out of over 55 million interactions that law enforcement have with people on the streets in public. Do you understand these? I mean, this is from Kyle Reese. He's a national spokesman for law enforcement today. And by looking at the numbers and the facts, He's seeing that how people's emotions and feelings and the propaganda and talking points are trumping the facts and the truth and the numbers and the percentages. And he said this, um, accurate perspective and understanding of what is really happening is important. Quote, it seems to me the real problem here is the socioeconomic disparities along with a public perception issues Uh, I'm sorry, along with a public perception issue, thanks to biased reporting. And let's not forget the huge role that social media plays in disseminating false narratives and creating emotional knee-jerk reactions. Reform is good. The heart of man, however, is still wicked, which is our underlying problem. The issue is sin not skin. And so these numbers, again, law enforcement numbers, 330 million in our population, 900,000 sworn law enforcement officers. In one year, they average about 1,000 incidents which police have used deadly force. Of those cases of deadly force, 95, over 95% of them, the suspects were armed. And the FBI report, um, well, I don't want to be redundant, but I already shared it. The numbers are hard to believe based on what we hear in the media, the liberal media, the talking point, government schools, and the fear mongers. So keep it in perspective, friends. Remember, the gospel is the solution. Sin is the problem. So let's keep on focusing on Christ and doing what we can to influence our culture for righteousness. We've got more in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Brand new podcast tomorrow. We will hear from Jan Markell, Olive Tree Views. You, uh, We're going to talk about a lot of different uh, false teachings and uh, religious uh, teachings that are going through the, the Christian church in America. You're not going to believe some of them, but she wrote a little bit about it in her recent newsletter. But Jan Markell will be with us tomorrow. New show. And on Thursday, we welcome back J.B. Hickson of Not By Works Ministries and Kevin McGarry of EBLM on Friday. What does that stand for? Every Black Life Matters. Yep. And he's black, so you can listen to him. Don't listen to me, but what, what, what he says... Uh, But thank you guys so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll lead you to uh, the links that we shared with Shay Hoodman and GodQuestions.org. God bless you guys. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.